0: So I want to thank you for joining me for another conversation on Manny Talks. I want to congratulate all the students that are getting back at uh, starting their spring semester. I think I probably did a shout out last episode, but I keep seeing another round of uh, schools have started up since the last episode. And uh, just wanted to make sure that I mention you guys again. It's awesome to see the ship and Nesby and Sweet Chapters having kickoff meetings again and getting ready to tackle the spring semester. It's also uplifting to see all those interns that are out there doing co-ops. If you are one of them, congratulations to you. And and look, I I wish you nothing but the best in that in that co-op. And make sure that you're reaching out. And asking questions at uh, how to better, uh, how to maximize that uh, co-op that you may have. If you're a young professional, just got started on a job, this conversation that we're going to have today is definitely for you. I had the pleasure of sitting with Matt Fisher. He's a friend of mine that uh, I worked with at ExxonMobil, but currently he's a, a the strategic sourcing manager for zooks which is a uh, startup company that's working on making a fleet of autonomous vehicles and his job is uh, a really interesting one i just know that uh, i went back and listened to the 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 interview that we did and it wasn't exactly clear uh i wouldn't say exactly clear but we wait kind of some time to get into what he does but he is and i never talked about what his position was really we just kind of talked about what he did uh his history he he it was he matt and i both worked at ExxonMobil and we get to that in this conversation and we really tackle this one item around, um, adjusting to his early career assignment or his very, his second assignment And which happened to coincide with my first supervisory role. So he worked for me. I I was a first time supervisor. He was still getting rolling with his career. So it was a very interesting uh, dynamic that we had. And when I started thinking about, hey, what is a good adjustment story for someone to hear? I instantly thought of Matt Fisher. Another thing that kind of gets blown over or that I don't give due diligence during the interview and highlighting. And Matt himself is a very humble person. So he doesn't bring this up, he went to grad school. He is a graduate of the Harvard Business School uh, MBA program, and he managed to do that um, as part of his accomplishments. And we don't mention that in the interview, so I want to make sure that you understand that uh, he is a graduate from the Harvard Business School. I think that is huge, a huge accomplishment and it should be noted. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your comments as always. Please, please, please reach out. And thank you for joining me in this conversation. (laughs) I forgot one other thing. So uh, funny story, while I was recording this episode, Alyssa, my wife, was out of town and i was at home and i uh, we just recently got a new puppy so sage does make an appearance on occasion uh most notably by playing with her squeaky toy in the middle of it, matt and i trying to talk so bear with me you're gonna hear that squeaky sound come once in a while don't worry it's uh, you're not going crazy it's indeed my new puppy our new family dog playing with their toy And me trying to think that I was going to be successful corralling her and interview Matt Fisher at the same time. And I kind of failed at that. So. uh, All right. So now we'll start the episode. All right, guys. So in this uh, episode, I get the chance to sit down with uh, Matt Fisher. So here in a minute, he'll go into his uh, into who he is and what he does. But Matt Fisher and I have been knowing each other for a bit. So Matt Fisher used to work uh, at ExxonMobil, and I'm sure we're, we're going to get into that about his time there and, and, and whatnot. But one of the reasons, right, there's certain individuals that kind of stick with you throughout your journey. And Matt Fisher, for me, he would, he sticks out for a few reasons, and I don't want to give all the, all, all the, the story away. But really, Matt had a, a firsthand view of what it was uh, uh, of me as a supervisor. So Matt and I started in our roles uh in the in the fixed equipment group in Baton Rouge at around the same time and for me for him it was a new role so it was a second role there and for me it was my first time being a supervisor and Matt very early on and you'll get to I'm sure you'll get to tell from the from the from this conversation he uh he ha- he he approaches things a little bit different and it was certainly noticeable and he ended up becoming one of my uh, go-to people as a first-time supervisor so uh with Without further ado, Matt, welcome to the podcast. I thank you for taking the time to make yourself available all the way from sunny California. Uh, So, why don't you go ahead, Matt, start off uh, and just introduce yourself. Tell me who you are, give me an idea of your background, and so on.
1: Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me on as well. And so, to give you a brief overview of my background, uh, I studied mechanical engineering at Duke as an undergraduate, uh, originally from New York City, and I my first job out of school was at Exxon uh, as a mechanical engineer uh, and had an excellent experience there. Uh, At a certain point, I became very interested in finance and adding strategy, strategic thinking to my repertoire and complementing that with my engineering skill set and all the things that I learned at Exxon. Uh, and so I started investigating business school uh, and with your help, I uh, was able to get into the Harvard Business School. And I went from Exxon and did a quick internship uh, in the solar industry, then uh, went to HBS, uh, interned at Tesla last summer on the energy side, so the solar and battery side, not the vehicle side. Uh, and then I now work at an autonomous vehicle startup, uh, and I'm focused on building out their charging infrastructure because eventually we'll own and operate a fleet of electric autonomous vehicles uh, and those vehicles will need to charge. So I'm in charge of making sure that happens.
0: That's awesome, Matt. So let's go back a little bit. I want to kind of pick a little bit apart and you kind of rolled through this, but it's very key to this story. Like you're from New York, correct? That's where you were born and raised.
1: Yep, that's that's right. And all, all the way through high school.
0: Okay, give me an idea of, of your family background, like, you know, parents, any brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, things of that nature. Like, what was what was life growing up like for Matt Fisher?
1: Yeah, totally. So, I come from a pretty small family. It's just me and my brother and my parents, and then each of them have a couple of siblings, and a lot of our family... Uh, lives very close together in New York City, uh, and outside of that, pretty close together within the Northeast, just the the few people that aren't in New York City. Uh, And it was a comfortable upbringing for sure. Uh, I felt like I got a great education growing up. I went to to the same uh, school that was in my neighborhood in New York uh, from kindergarten all the way through the end of high school. Uh, and so I developed a lot of really close friendships, uh, because I was with the same group of people for so long. Uh, but that said, New York didn't always feel the most comfortable place to me. I even remember as a kid visiting my grandmother out in New Jersey, just where there's a little bit more room. And so when it came to applying to college i tried to broaden my horizons from just within the northeast Mm -hmm. Uh, and duke which is in north carolina uh, was high up on my list and i was very fortunate that that worked out they had a great engineering program which is what i knew i wanted to study and that was kind of my first step out of uh, a very specific world that i grew up in with a very specific worldview that happens when you grow up in new york city uh and then i got to start my migration south
0: (laughs) and we'll get into that into that southerly migration uh, a little bit later on but let's let let's uh, explore that a little bit so your 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 decision to go into engineering where did that come from
1: i always liked math and science so i think that's natural to start looking at engineering but beyond that i always liked finding out how things work and using that knowledge to design better objects or whatever it was, different projects. So mechanical engineering specifically, I think was uh, of particular interest, both because I liked those physical goods, but it was also, it offered more of an integration between the different disciplines. Uh, And I was just frankly curious about so many of those topics of how are things built? Why are they built this way? And what can we do to make them better?
0: Awesome. So you end up over at Duke. Did you just, as far as your involvement when you were a student, were you part of any like clubs or organizations outside of just being a mechanical engineering student?
1: Yeah, I was in a fraternity and I was also an avid soccer player, but I think, uh, uh, I got I kind of scratched my itch from an engineering perspective. just I felt like the curriculum was uh, very intense at yeah. Duke and uh, that that took up a lot of my time, frankly, but uh, it was wonderful. I was so glad that I could really devote myself to those studies. And while there were some classes that were, Prerequisites to other classes that we were kind of forced to take that I wouldn't have naturally gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that uh, so many of those classes became foundational to the way that I see the world.
0: Okay. So then you're up at Duke and uh, let's start, you know, working our way south. So how did you uh, end up? You know, wor- working, uh, not necessarily working. How did you start wor- working with recruiters to get into ExxonMobil? What was that experience like? Uh, and who else were you kind of uh, considering when you were trying to line up for your first uh, professional gig?
1: Yeah. So, definitely two parts to that question. I think, uh, in terms of working with recruiters, I was very fortunate that there were some Duke alumni that came to campus recruiting for ExxonMobil. Uh, and there was a part of me that wanted to remain an engineer, and there was a part of me that was curious to explore other roles. So uh, to answer the first part of the question, it was a lot of on-campus recruiting and networking within uh, the Duke alumni that were now at ExxonMobil. In terms of the careers that I was uh, actually considering at the time of my decision, they could not have been more radically different. So (laughs) I was deciding between a mechanical engineering role at a refinery in Baton Rouge and working at a startup that did search optimization in Santa Barbara, California. And (laughs) I mean, I, there was just a part of me really that didn't necessarily want to leave uh, mechanical engineering without giving it a shot of seeing what it was like to practice professionally. Because uh, while I was a strong student, I felt like my value add was not necessarily just uh, mechanical engineering. And perhaps we'll get into it a little bit more, but I felt like Exxon brought out uh, the best in me by really encouraging engineers to be well-rounded, both in considering the technical aspects of our work, but also the business side and certainly the interpersonal side. Uh, so I was very fortunate that that experience ended up being so fantastic uh, and the other startup. Um, you know, I, I think those opportunities will continue to exist in the future, but I really felt like if I didn't jump into the engineering role right out, of undergrad, it becomes increasingly hard to do that.
0: I got you. Okay. So you, you, you know, you graduate from Duke. Had you interned with ExxonMobil or were you just a full-time hire?
1: No, I had a pretty interesting internship. So I, my sophomore year summer, I was repairing medical equipment in Tanzania and then my junior year summer of college, I was working at a venture capital firm in Israel. So, as you can imagine, I had some interviewers that were kind of scratching their head, wondering what I was doing uh, at a refinery uh, interested in ExxonMobil. But that said, I I did above and beyond just my mechanical engineering degree. I got an energy and environment certificate at Duke, which requires a few extra classes. So, I had a deep interest in the energy industry and still, to this day, find it fascinating and Feel like there's a lot of great career opportunities there, but Exxon uh, was a fantastic place to start that journey.
0: That's awesome, Matt. And look, and so and i'm thinking in the back of my head matt and i and i'm one to i always try and have kind of a punchline or a theme to these episodes and and i've discussed this with you but the reason i wanted to bring you on and and have you share your story and we're going to start getting into the details of this is because uh because of this move that you made from new york all the way to baton rouge and i want to kind of we're going to explore what that was like and what some of those challenges brought. And the reason that, and and again, I also shared with you, right, the primary audience of this podcast is underrepresented minorities trying to break into STEM or who are, in many cases, uh, having to decide between leaving home and, and dealing with new environments. And, and sometimes they, you know, like they, they might take a, a strictly cultural view. But what I hope to come, that comes out in this conversation is that, man, there's so many regional differences in the country that someone from New York City moving to Baton Rouge or some, Latino engineer in the valley moving to Houston might be going through some of the same struggles because at the end of the day, we're all human. So let's start peeling that apart. So you, you're, you're in New York City, you go to Baton Rouge and you had, we met in your second role. So tell me about the first role that you had and, and, and let's start un, unfolding what this transition looked like.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest cultural disconnect was how to form relationships uh, and how to be a conscientious coworker. The biggest shock that I had when I first started working in Baton Rouge was in New York City, the way that people operate, you try not to waste people's time. You kind of come in, you ask a question, and you leave very promptly afterwards. What I found very quickly in Baton Rouge was that people seemed to be growing frustrated with the way that I was operating in asking them those very quick questions. And fortunately, I had a good friend at the time who was more familiar with the culture who eventually told me, you got to sit with these people. You got to uh, build those personal relationships first. And then work uh, comes right after that. Uh, but without that piece of feedback, I really it, – it wasn't within – I I was just completely blind to my own deficiency and the fact that there was a completely different way of doing business in a different part of the country. So exactly to your point that I don't want to make it seem like it's the biggest change across the globe, but even within the United States, going from a very fast place fast paced place like New York city down in Baton Rouge and just the way that you interact with people was radically different. So my first role, I would say I was very fortunate that I got to do some interesting work, but just the nature of it, I was a little bit separated from the real flow and the action of what was going on in the dynamic environment of the refinery and the chemical plant. Uh, I was working within the group that repairs compressors, which are like the beating hearts of the refinery. Uh, But I was doing more work around how we could optimize uh, our operations and how we could save some money on performing those repairs. And a little less of the detailed engineering and thinking about some of the important trade-offs in a refinery of cost versus safety, uh, and being very much in the action of uh, dealing with the day-to-day issues. So it was, it was more long-term projects. So moving from that to the group where we worked together was also a shock in itself. Uh, and I think the host of characters and the way that I had to interact with them was also... Much more challenging
0: okay so let's and, and let 's pause there right because I want to and that 's key to kind of the story is you kind of came in, you had a role like you mentioned that kind of i wouldn 't say well you i think you used the word isolated or kind of kept you separate from all the i think you said the real action right, and so you got uh, this one role and then you moved into the secondary role, which I think is when some of this started to become. Uh, more in your face a little bit. Right. So it, it, did you have, aside from the work thing, how about just from a, from a uh, environment or like city, did you have to deal in that first role? Maybe not immediate with your work, but regionally, were you having to figure out life in Baton Rouge different than you, than you did in, uh, in New York, or was that seemingly the same?
1: So it was definitely different as you can imagine. I think, how spread out the city was and the typical activities that we were doing were all very unfamiliar to me. And I think what was important for me in building relationships was just a willingness to try new things, whether it was fishing or playing golf, things like that, uh, that I was fortunate. You know, they're very fun activities, but when you're not very good at them, you sometimes feel like you're holding the group back. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think the coworkers and the friends that I made were such great people that they were, uh, happy to include me in those activities and also, uh, enjoyed actually showing me those different activities, uh, and teaching me about them because they were their life hobbies. So I, I think yeah. a will, willingness to put yourself out there, uh, definitely opens a lot of doors in that respect.
0: All right, Matt. So you kind of you did that first role, and then you got into the fixed equipment role. And, and, and as we were kind of setting up, this is when some of this uh, the 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 difference or or this real shock started to maybe surface its uh, its face. So let's start to, let's start unraveling that. Take me through that role, and what was it? You know, what did you your first impressions and so on?
1: The second role hit me like a tidal wave. It was very intense right from the get-go. I was taking over that role from somebody who was in the midst of a major crisis within the refinery or within the chemical plant at that point. And that person that I was taking over from was incredibly experienced and very capable at their job. To add to that, they were working alongside somebody, an inspector that helps out with uh, that type of work that was also very experienced. But when I came into the role, that, that person had been pulled off to a different assignment. Uh, so I had the challenge of uh, picking up the pieces of the remediation effort that this other fellow had been leading uh, without much support from that person because he was jumping into a, a different fire that he had to go fight. Uh, and then doing it alongside uh, an inspector that had much less experience and background within that unit and dealing with a host of characters that were very demanding, all wonderful people, uh, but they had very high expectations of what engineers should be capable of. So it was very challenging to be looked at as an authority figure right from the get-go when I... Truthfully, did not know much about what was going on and felt that the uh, some of my peers that would be helping me with that uh, just temporarily were not available uh, to really help me through that. So it was it was a very, very challenging time for me personally uh, that I tried to compensate with and just sheer hours and effort. But I would say that uh, it was inevitably kind of the first time that I felt like I was failing at what I was doing and not delivering the results that were required of me. Uh, and it took a little bit of time to bend those relationships and rebound from that.
0: And to look. And so one thing that on top of that, you also had a brand new supervisor <laughs> and, and that, guess, that, yeah. that, that was me. Right. So you had a lot thrown at you. So I could probably uh, a, a C where you, to to add to that having a new supervisor added its own level of complexity. But one thing that I want to clear up, and you're, and 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 I'll I'll be the one to do this because I just know you're a very humble person. One thing that this had nothing to do with Matt's ability as a mechanical engineer. Like if there was one thing that Matt 100% understood was mechanical engineering and everything that he was being to asked to do technically, he was uh, more than capable of doing. So, and I think you kind of hinted at this before. So you were also used to dealing in a much faster pace versus Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So when you were asking these questions, it wasn't like you were asking rookie questions. You were asking some very relevant questions, but it was... The delivery, I think, that was not uh, working in, in in your favor. So I just want to clear that up. So that there, there's this had everything to do with like more of the maybe the softer skills portion, and nothing to do with the uh, technical ability. So in any event, so yeah. so you start talking about these, these these folks that were were demanding. Can you give it? Can you give an example of of like uh, uh, like elaborate on that? What do you mean? About the the characters or the demands that you were getting on a daily basis, maybe something that you recall, uh, and we'll totally pre- so and we'll protect the innocence uh, by excluding names.
1: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, there's no need to bring names into it. It's kind of we had a few different characters uh, that were involved. Uh, I think I had. Uh, I was working alongside a senior engineer who was also fairly new to this particular role, uh, and had a certain approach to how to do the work, which I think he taught me a tremendous amount. But just to add to the complexity of the things that I was facing, I, I didn't have relationships. I didn't necessarily have the knowledge because while I was a perhaps a capable mechanical engineer, uh, the work that I was doing required uh, building and designing to certain codes that consisted of thousands of pages that I hadn't had a chance to read. So no relationships, no knowledge, um, and then an added focus on doing everything with an incredible level of detail, no matter how minute the task or how important the task was. So very quickly I found myself mired in some of these, uh, what I consider to be low priority items that you could kind of approximate the solution and try to bring them to my senior engineer who was very dissatisfied with my work, um, saying that, uh, I had not looked at it closely enough. So in, in terms of the care to come back to the characters, uh, Now that you have the context of what I was up against and how I felt that I was moving slowly, people would give me a call in the evening and tell me that an important piece of equipment was leaking and that they needed a change uh, to be approved by the next day, midday, so that a crew of mechanics could actually go execute the work. Even towards the end of my time, where I both had the knowledge, relationships, uh, and the ability to go do that, it would have been a tall task to get that done in the time frame that they expected of me. But they had worked uh, with very capable engineers in the past, and I guess they they had faith that I would get there eventually. Uh, and f- frankly, they weren't uh, they were kind of shameless in in their requests of me. Uh, and so when I wasn't, I was able to deliver on a couple things, but there were also a couple that I certainly was not going to get done in time. Uh, and that's when they, you know, their lives become slightly harder because they can't operate the equipment that they want to operate. Uh, they can't necessarily uh, execute the repair in the way that they think makes the most sense. And they took out some of those feelings on me, basically telling me that I you know, wasn't meeting great. Uh And so starting the relationship off with, with that tone and the fact that I hadn't gotten to get to know them as people because I was so mired down in some of these other obstacles and just trying to get basic work out the door was a challenge that I not only think I was having a hard time with, I may have been approaching it in totally the wrong way that when I got to, when I had a redo of this situation, when I moved to my third role, uh, I think I came at it a, with a completely different perspective.
0: And so, and, and along the way, right, Matt, so, it, it, and again, remember this whole time, um, the supervisor, so from a supervisor's perspective, I'm definitely getting some of this feedback, right? And I and I think... Uh, from a like the, the 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 folks that you were working with and the senior engineers, but what I did have, in case you're hearing that squeaking, that's the dog, by the way. <laughs> but what you were, but what I was getting constantly was this feedback. But one thing that you were doing right uh, in this entire event, even though you're having this conflict and you're trying to figure out which way's up, is that you actually took advantage of our one-on-ones, right? So kind of, I, I know you brought this topic up. In, uh, in the discussions with your supervisor, this case me, but can you talk a little bit about what you did to prepare yourself to have this conversation with your supervisor?
1: Totally. So I think the most important message that I would give anybody who is entering the workforce is, I, I would say your most important relationship is with your supervisor. And at the end of the day, your supervisor is the one who can help you the most Uh, And also needs to be most aware of the obstacles that you're facing um, because that lends them context of why maybe they're hearing some of the things that they're hearing so I would treat uh, preparation for our conversations pretty seriously and you know whether it was at least taking 30 minutes before to go through all of the all of the different issues to make sure that I was prioritizing the work correctly or that you were aware of the work and that also I was bringing forward hurdles that I was facing uh, and find out if you had any recommendations of how to tackle those because you had clearly been successful in uh, similar roles and within this context. So I, I knew that you had a lot of very valuable information to provide uh, that maybe – it wasn't a, a time. Our one-on-one was such valuable time that I wanted to make sure that we were making the most of it. And and I know that you were very, you know, you had tons on your plate. So to the extent possible that I was able to just kind of clearly communicate what issues I was having and get feedback on that in, in the time that we had uh, was something that I put a lot of uh, thought into.
0: And, and so just to, to add a little bit more context, right, Matt? So one-on-ones typically happen for about an hour every month. That didn't mean that that was the only time that we talked, but from a supervisor perspective, uh, that those were intended to be the times to kind of talk of a, about a variety of things. And so I, 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 I kind of try to set some ground, I say ground rules, maybe that's not the right word, but uh, every one of the engineers and, and inspectors or uh, that that, re, that reported to me, whenever we had one-on-ones, I was like, look, these are gonna last about an hour and we're gonna split the time down the middle. 30 minutes is gonna be about what I want to ask And what I need some more information on and the other 30 minutes is going to be about whatever you want to talk about, about your development or questions you might have. And so I would give these type of instructions to everybody. And so one thing that I shared with Matt uh, before we got on this call was that, hey, you'd be surprised how many of the other engineers didn't necessarily take advantage of that second half. So most folks would, the majority would uh, be very good new about the business portion and talking about their work list items. But then you had one thing that Matt did right, was that he would then start talking about these difficulties he was having. He would tell you what he's tried, who he's trying to talk to, and then ask for advice. And so I knew that this was a development thing that he was working on. And so being aware of it and also trying to help him through it, kind of gave me the firsthand knowledge of what was going on so that on the side when everybody somebody pulled me over and said hey I don't know about this guy from New York or or had some sort of feedback along that ways it was like I knew about it and I could advocate for him or I could uh help diffuse the situation or whatever right I he, I was there because of the relationship that that uh, I extended the offer but Matt took it right uh, it made it a heck of a lot easier to navigate this uh, as his uh, supervisor. So and, and that was a very key thing and I like what you said that that relationship is super important. And remember this whole time, this is my first time being a supervisor. So it don't matter if someone's experienced or or whether or not you think you can, they can help you or not. You need to figure out uh, what that relationship really is going to look like because guess what? At the end of the day they're your supervisor regardless of their experience level. And because Matt you, he, because Matt did play in that space, it made it way easier to get to know him and to figure out what it is that he wanted, etc., which kind of plays into, into the rest of the dynamic. So the, the point I'm hoping folks are getting here is that it doesn't matter what your background is. Uh, it's not just culturally related, it could be regionally related or just life experience related that you might find yourselves in a, in, a, in a situation where you're completely out of your element. So at the end, it did kind of, and you sort of hinted at it, Matt, towards the end of your role, things got eased up. So what were some of the changes that you instituted?
1: One of the changes that I instituted was a people first approach. I mean, Exxon is able to compile an excellent group of very intelligent people and a lot of them have tremendous amounts of experience and so one thing that I hadn't done enough was invest in the relationships up front when I came into the role and that was something that I was able to do the second time around when I moved to a different unit, uh, just to make sure to get to know some of the most experienced people on the unit. And, and also just some of the others as well. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't just be based on experience and what people should do for you, uh, or can do for you. Uh, but that went so far in, the changing my approach and my entire mindset that I'd come from New York City where you gotta move quickly. You gotta avoid wasting people's time to this new perspective that I had gained, which is you gotta move slow to move fast. You gotta get to know people before they're gonna be okay with you calling them up and asking them a quick question that's gonna allow you to move more quickly down the road. And that that was a radical something that I was so thankful for to completely shift my understanding of business and, frankly, kind of expand my repertoire of being able to flex to different situations.
0: Awesome. So in this. Right. So, again, let's go back a little bit. Review you get into you you, you land the big fish ExxonMobil. You come down to the south. You you get slapped in the face with some adjustments you need to make. You make them. You have a great relationship with your supervisor. And I've told you this before. Like, you were, you know, when it started getting towards the end of your timing, right, some of those next assignments were those bigger moves, right, going into potentially supervision and stuff. But somewhere in there, right, you decide – I say it it wasn't instantaneous, and I get that, and maybe I'm I'm overplaying that. But you decide, hey, you want to go into a grad school. So let's talk about that.
1: Totally. I think there were a lot of things that factored in my decision to go to business school, but one of them was – a lot of the uh, content that was going to be available to me a lot. One of them was the network and, and just meeting a variety of people um, and how much kind of going back to this relationship focus that I had uh, come to appreciate that I could learn a ton from them. And then the third was career ambitions in, in terms of perhaps broadening my horizon slightly, Uh, I had an interest in energy on uh, kind of across the entire landscape. I was interested in renewable energy as well. uh, And I felt that it it all kind of came together in my mind that grad school would give me the essential skills to be successful in a different part of the energy business. And I'm so thankful for the experiences and everything that I learned at ExxonMobil. And I was ready to then equip myself with a few different skills that were going to allow me to succeed in a different part of the the industry and specifically within renewable energy i think strategy and finance become very important i think strategy becomes important uh just because it is a small portion of the energy mix which again that's what attracted me to exxon in the first place that it's so foundational and will continue to be foundational to uh, the energy mix for uh, certainly the foreseeable future. Um, but then also this finance component that the margins within renewable energy were a lot tighter. Uh, and so you really have to understand cash flow and you have to understand making the right investments and how to compensate, how to raise capital the right way. Uh, and those were all things that I felt that business school could best equip me for.
0: And so, and Matt, you were able to do this, but you didn't necessarily burn any bridges at ExxonMobil. You didn't. And even uh, when you made that decision, we had built a relationship where you were able to come to me and say that this is what you wanted to do. And you even asked me for a recommendation letter, which I was more than happy to write for you because it wasn't uh, personal at that point. I knew how. Good you were. I knew the growth that you had done in the, in the, in the time that you were there, uh, working for me and in our group. And, and, and I loved seeing that. And it's like, of course, man, this is somebody that's good. I want people to succeed within the company. But if it's going to be somewhere else, uh, more power to them. But you left a wide door open, right? You said, uh, there was a possibility for you to come back and that door isn't necessarily closed just because it wasn't immediately after school because you're still developing and growing. So currently you're now, and I want to kind of switch gears here and talk about your current role. So let's start unwinding the company that you work for now and what it is that you do.
1: Totally. So I now am at a autonomous vehicle startup. So we are, approaching this problem of self-driving cars slightly differently than a lot of the other companies in the marketplace. We are going to build our own vehicle. We're going to design the software for that vehicle. And then we are going to own a fleet of those vehicles and you will hopefully be able to hail a Zook's much like you would an Uber or a Lyft uh, just on your smartphone. But the biggest difference is that there won't be a driver inside there's no steering wheel inside the vehicle drives in both directions. It's electric. And we think that it's going to be an awesome experience. And so, huh? uh, what I do within that entire company is when we own and operate this fleet of vehicles, like I said, they're all electric. Um, they're going to be hopefully utilized quite a bit throughout the day. Uh, and so when and where they go to charge, uh, and making sure that we have that infrastructure to support our fleet is what I am now responsible for.
0: Okay. And so that was the role that you, you went right into this role right after your, your grad school, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I had an internship at Tesla on the energy side, which was phenomenal. And Tesla is a really remarkable company, but I was excited by Zooks for a few different reasons. Uh the least of which is kind of that I I was excited to be a part of something smaller where I felt like I could have uh, an impact on the culture and also grow with the company and certainly still have aspirations to be a manager and grow the team out underneath me if everything continues to go well. So it was, it was a different approach, different, kind of risk profile, but, you know, there was ever the time to make the leap. I felt like it was now um, to go to something a little earlier stage.
0: So one, one might presume that there wasn't any adjustment for you going to, to California. Is that the case or did you did you see some of the same cultural adjustments maybe or regional adjustments maybe that you had to deal with in Baton Rouge now showing themselves in maybe in a different way, but now also in uh, California?
1: I think the adjustment to California was a lot easier for me than from New York down to Baton Rouge, but I think I took a lot of what I learned in Baton Rouge and I'm certainly applying it here. I think one of the best things that you did as a supervisor was really put the onus on us to manage all of our relationships. I think regardless of what company you work in or what the power dynamic is between your different coworkers, there's no reason that you can't be the one to make sure that that relationship is a positive one. So even though I feel like I still work with engineers, I work with other people, I sit on the larger procurement team, uh, whatever it is and whoever it is, I think one of the big things that I took with me from Baton Rouge is this people first approach. And if things feel tense between us, uh, feeling like it's certainly within my purview to go solve that. It's not always necessarily expected, but then best case scenario, you're exceeding expectations. Uh, And if you have a good relationship with uh, your coworkers, everything else typically falls into place.
0: Hey, I love what you said there about taking the ownership, right? And and, and I guess, you know, I I say it, but I love when someone hears it and, and actually applies it. Because, yeah, I mean, but I'm being informed as a supervisor is critical because then that lets me not be blindsided or allowed me not to be blindsided uh, or can allow a supervisor in general not to be blindsided by any side conversation that someone might have, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all, whether you have peers and you have supervisors and if there's any conflict, it may work its way up. So you want to make sure that someone has some idea of what you're working, not because you want them to solve it for you. But because just a more of a, of an FYI in case it comes up. But there's definitely a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. So, Matt, I'm looking at the time and I want to make sure that I'm respectful to it. But I did, I do like to kind of give the, the the last comments to to whoever decides to come on. And again, thinking about the audience and forget about the maybe not necessarily the minority aspect of it, but just a candidate in STEM in general, regardless of what region they're in. What would be you know, a piece of advice or something that, that you feel would be uh, good for them to know based on what you learned early on in your career?
1: I think the relationship focus is the most important thing that I learned early in my career that I tried to pass on to others. I think we've touched on many different aspects of that, whether it's uh, being responsible for the relationship, making sure that you try to have a healthy relationship with your supervisor and making sure that you foster relationships with your coworkers. It's amazing how when you invest in those relationships, other people will invest in you in many different ways. And so I think while it's hard to carve out the time to make sure that you're spending time with others, just because sometimes it's not the most easier easily measurable, easily measurable uh, facet of your work, it is incredibly important. And just because you can't necessarily measure it with a ruler or whatever metric you want to use, uh, doesn't mean that it's not uh, incredibly important, important and then will also allow you to excel in the things that you can measure
0: that's very well said Matt I appreciate again you making yourself available and and working with me and uh, and this scheduled right to kind of have this conversation I appreciate your flexibility for sure and I definitely look forward to potentially having you on with some more targeted conversations uh, later because there's a whole lot more to this story and a whole lot more uh, other things that you that, that we could probably get into uh, even just the energy sector or Hey, what, do, you know, working at a startup and what does that look like? So, and I got a couple of topics that it would be awesome to, to get your opinions on in the future. Cause now, even though we don't work together, we're definitely still, uh, included in our, we're, we're, we're part of our network, right? So we should totally. definitely continue to leverage it. Right. Matt, again, yeah,
1: I'd, be, I'd be more than happy. Yeah. Uh, happy to speak about any of those topics. So just let me know.
0: Cool, man. Thanks for your time again.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Hey, look, I really hope you enjoyed that last uh, episode. I hope that you benefited from it and that you at least have some new appreciation for the topic that we discussed or that uh, you maybe have more questions that you're walking away uh, with the hopes of exploring and getting some more information. Look, the reason I do this podcast is because I want to make sure that uh, you, the listener, have the opportunity to benefit from the stories and the, the experiences of someone that has already been there before you tackling a STEM career, whether as a student or as a young professional is difficult. And if you're going to succeed, it's probably not going to be by yourself. And if you think you're going to do it by yourself, I would seriously, uh, uh, challenge you to consider, um, getting some help and that's where this is coming from the guests that come on the reason that they even accept in the first place is because they hear why I'm doing this project and they feel that they want to help as well. How can you help? You can help one by sharing the information. If you know someone that you're going to school with or someone that you're uh working with as a as a new professional that could benefit from this information, share it. Two, interact online. You're probably going to see these uh this uh episode promoted on things like LinkedIn. And you probably saw it on Instagram or Facebook or or a combination. And it would really help if you would interact, let uh, people know what you thought of the episode in the comments. Last, if you are listening on iTunes, uh, you have the opportunity to not only give the episode a rating or the podcast in general, I should say a rating, but you also get the opportunity to leave your specific thoughts about what you think about this project and what that allows people to do is to, who are searching for this information is to read and to get some uh, first-hand account from somebody else about the information that is provided. That's what you can do to kind of pay it forward. Again, I thank you very much for taking, having taken the time out of your schedule to listen to this podcast and to listen to the story of the guests that were invited. And for that, I sincerely thank you. And I look forward to the next conversation.